Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to the University of Sydney and the Sydney Ideas International Public Lecture Series. I'm Meredith Hall, Program Manager for Sydney Ideas. I'm very pleased to welcome David de Rothschild and the crew of the Plastiki to the University of Sydney tonight. And I would like to thank Rosemary Lister, the previous director of the Institute for Sustainable Solutions, and Sam Mostyn, the current director, for working with Sydney Ideas to bring David de Rothschilds to the lecture program. The format for tonight will be a 50-minute question, sorry, in conversation, followed by a 20-minute question and answer session. But we may be flexible about that, seeing, seeing how the conversation goes. For questions, we have um, microphones on stands here at the bottom of the aisle, so we'll ask you to come down and use those microphones for your questions. We are recording the lecture for the um, podcast on the university website, and tonight it is being filmed by ABC TV Big Ideas, so it is important that you use those microphones for your questions. I'd now like to welcome Professor Jill Truella, Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research at the University of Sydney, who will introduce tonight's speakers to you. Thank you, Jill. Thank you to Sydney Ideas for organising this wonderful evening for us and welcome special guests and everybody. So upon first hearing about the plans for the Plastiki voyage, uh, our Vice-Chancellor, Dr Michael Spence, wrote to David de Rothschild in March of 2009 to invite him to make an address to the Institute for Sustainable Solutions at Sydney University upon his arrival in Sydney from San Francisco. We were thrilled when he accepted. So here we are, a little over a year uh, later, and David and his Plastiki have triumphantly arrived at Sydney Harbour after an epic voyage across the Pacific Ocean. So on behalf of the University of Sydney Institute of Sustainable Solutions and the University of Sydney, I'm delighted to welcome you to tonight's event. Um, our Institute of Sustainable Solutions is still young, but it aims to build innovative research collaborations to solve some of the great sustainability challenges of our time. It also has ambitions to provide strong evidence for more robust sustainability policy development and aims to create public events where sustainability issues can be considered and solutions offered, where pioneers, thinkers and bright minds can provide inspiration to the broader community. We were very fortunate when Sam Mostyn came to take the directorship of our institute uh, late last year. And she's very sorry not to be here, but she's in the remote community of Beagle Bay this week in the Kimberleys in Western Australia, facilitating a summit on close, closing the gap in indigenous disadvantage, which is an annual thing that uh, Sam volunteers for and just happened to coincide, unfortunately, with tonight's event. So she's very sorry not to be here. Uh, it's wonderful that we were able to have David de Rothschild join us in this evening to tell us about his remarkable voyage. As David will explain, the Plastiki is a unique 18.3-metre catamaran made from 12,500 reclaimed plastic soft drink bottles. The Plastiki showcases the latest recycling te technologies and challenges us to reimagine waste as a resource. He brought together a team of experts across the fields of boat building, architecture, sustainable design, engineering, materials, and design technology to create the Plastiki. 
David is a well-known environmentalist, author, and co-host of the Sundance Channel's eco-trip, The Real Cost of Living. He lives in the UK, and in addition to being named a National Geographic Society Emerging Explorer, he is a United Nations Environment Program climate hero. Tonight, David will make an address on the many solutions deployed on the Plastiki and tell us more about his voyage to Sydney. We're also extremely fortunate to have Sally Dominguez join us for this tonight's event. Sally will emcee the rest of the evening and join in conversation with David before we open the floor to your questions. Sally graduated with a degree in architecture from the University of Sydney. She's one of our proud graduates. And she went on to design and build over 18 passive solar houses before designing her award-winning Nest High Chair in 2003. Her accomplishments now include five major international product design awards and five years of professional judging, including ABC TV's New Inventors. The Australian Design Awards, Wheels Car of the Year Awards, and the San Francisco-based Spark Awards. Sally writes for many Australian media outlets on bioplastics, end-of-product life issues, and design innovations for buildings and vehicles. Her rainwater hog tank product was named one of USA's top 10 green building products in 2008, and she continues to work on new water and solar inventions for more sustainable building. Sally lives in San Francisco, where she was able to board and examine the Plastiki before it commenced the journey to Sydney. Uh, and it has successfully arrived in Sydney, and I understand that Australia and Sydney rolled out the traditional welcome of Sydney and excitement and enthusiasm about newness and new ideas. So I'm very pleased about that. I cannot think of a more appropriate person to lead us in the conversation with David de Rothschild and Sally, and I'm delighted to introduce her to you now. Oh. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. Although it's not about me, it's about you, David. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, I did board Plastiki when it was brand spanking new, and I was there when it came into the harbour, a little... Looking new. Looking, looking pretty, pretty new. new. And all of you were looking pretty new. Nobody staggered screen. when they walked on shore. I was like, well, hang on, have they been practising? It was green screen. <laughs> so David, I'm, I'm excited that you're an emerging explorer. There aren't many, and it's, it's fantastic. Although I understand that although you've been to both poles and you've now done the Pacific Ocean, you're still not an explorer in residence. Uh, no, still emerging. I'm not sure what I'm emerging from. I don't know what you're emerging from and where you're going to, but I'm wondering when... Have you been to the National Geographic building? in Washington. No. They need explorers and residents. This place is huge. You've never seen a building like it. They, these basically, I think they started out as guides and they walk around and, and they have this little plaque <laughs> All on the explorers. There. Yeah, it's uh, but amazing people. Obviously, people like Sylvia Earle, uh, who, you know, her deepness, as we call her. Uh, yeah. You look up to people. <laughs> you're, um, so in your exploring to date, and you're only bloody young 30s, so to date is, is only young. Yeah. You have so much more ahead of you. What, at what point did environment and waste and, and, and basically projecting to the world the possibilities of the environment hook into your adventurous spirit, David? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, I started, I guess, um, sort of being more interested in what was going on outside the window as a kid. Um, you know, I was one of those kids who basically... In costumes. Yeah, so. that was me on the outside there, actually. This is kind of a fun... <laughs> Uh, by the way, this is quite... Uh, I've just got off the boat, obviously, so it's, uh, it's like, hello, 
A lot of people. <laughs> How are you doing? Can't see that many of you. It's like you're on the spotlight, but I know there's some people out there. So. He's been wearing the hat since he got off the boat, too. I don't know if it's four months. It smells. <laughs> I'm losing my hair up there, so I don't want anyone to see. It looks long down here. But, uh, so tonight, I guess, is going to be a, a little... Uh, uh, you've got to bear with me, I guess, is what I'm going to say when I start flicking through some of these. Um, so that's me on the right. Awesome hairdo. Exploring. On, Exploring. on the beetle. Plastic beetle. Yeah. want to make that point. So no, no stranger to riding around on plastic. Uh, it's my brother. He lost that one. But um, I guess this is what I wanted to pull up. was really a couple of uh, school reports. Obviously very bad at French. Not so good at geography. Disappointing, um, but not totally surprising. But not totally surprising. It's a little harsh. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, awesome. Just what you want to hear from your teachers. But the reason why I showed this was I guess I was far more curious about being outside, outside the window. So as a kid, I was definitely one of those kids who was hyperactive, uh, not wanted to stay inside. And so my transition into the environment actually started out uh, through health. Um, I am actually trained as a natural medicine doctor. I trained as a naturopath. I did my degree at CNM, College of Naturopathic Medicine in London. You look terrifically um, healthy. Uh, it's, be... Yeah, it's because uh, it's I'm a lizard. Huh. If you read the conspiracies online. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that on your Twitter. <laughs> you won't. No, I'm joking. Um, um, but, uh, you know, so obviously outside of the window has always been something that's far more exciting um, for me. And, and, you know, naturopathy was a big part. You are what you eat and you are what you breathe. And I, I think that was my transition into the environment. It was one of those things that, um, you know, got me hooked. I started to obviously explore, uh, you know, natural medicine. And, and when you start to explore and you start to uh, get into it all, you're, you're sort of like you cannot separate, obviously, the environment from health. Yet we compartmentalize these issues, you know. Yeah. We talk about them totally separately. Um, and so that started to fascinate me and interest me. And in as I started to get more and more interested in that, uh, I started to find it kind of hard to access information. I felt, for the most part, some of it was a little bit worthy, uh, a little bit exclusive, a little bit hard to kind of get into, and, and uh, it was a little bit frustrating, to be honest. I wanted to find content that was maybe uh, going to stir me in a different way and be a little bit more curious. And, um, and so, you know, that's where I began. And uh, uh, I guess so the health lens was something that really is, is still very important to me and I think is one of the the deeper issues when we start talking about plastics in yeah. our ocean, yeah. uh, there is obviously a health element which we can touch on in a bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess that you are what you eat translates into a massive philosophy. Which right now is I'm a beer then, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what I'm drinking, I'm a, I'm a James Frothy, Boag's premium lager. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good lager. Is it? No? Yeah. So the, the plastiki inspired basically by the 1947 Contiki voyage, yeah. uh, which was about proving a theory, I guess, a population migration and also proving materials that yeah. were used. How did that inspire plastiki? You know, it was, uh, it was a funny meeting, actually. I, um, my original plan for the sort of plastiki project was to take a bunch of artists on a, on a traditional vessel uh, out to this so-called eastern garbage patch, um, which... Uh, I say so-called because there's a, we have to break the myth about it being a solid patch, um, which we can come mm. on to in a minute. There's some, some slightly different you know, explanations. Yeah, it's not an island. It's not an island, yeah. basically. So I, I'd be careful how I use that. So I was there, and I, I, went, I just got back from the North Pole. I'd spent, um, see that image that I showed before, that was up in the North Pole, um, 100-odd days up there on it's the amazing. Arctic. Um, and 
I come back and here we were trying to discuss climate change and all these issues around the melting ice caps, but it was very unattainable. You know, it's, you know when you talk about climate change, it's, it's, it's told through the lens of carbon and, and energy. And like, what does a ton of carbon smell like, taste like, feel like? And when we build expeditions, we build them around a cause and then we build out around that. And so for me, the issue of waste was one of those issues that we all contribute to. We can all feel it and touch it. And that means we can all do something about it. And so here I was, I was excited. I'd, I'd read this UN report um, about the accumulation of plastics in our ocean. Yeah. Uh, 13,000 items of marine debris on or below a square mile, or square kilometer rather, of our ocean. And the majority of marine debris is plastic. So my brain started ticking and I was like, all right, I'm going to create this whole series on waste. And actually the combination was going to be the plastiki. Um, and we actually did some other sort of expeditions, one in Ecuador in the jungle, uh, looking at Chevron, who'd been dumping crude oil waste. Uh, and there's a film out now called Crude, uh, which uh, Joe Bollinger directed. It's a very good film. We took a bunch of artists down there to create this story, and, and you know, I'm getting lost. You've got to pull right. me back if I start no, jabbering. No, 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 Crude is good. I've I didn't actually realise you were well, crude, I've been sitting, so I mean, in, uh, you were the movie. Well, no, I'm not in the movie, but I was, that was the case that we, yeah. we, we presented, and... Um, I was going to say I've been on a boat, so I've got a lot of information. I want to yeah. get it out. So if, if, if you're wondering, plastic to contiki. So I went yeah. for this meeting um, at Participant Productions, uh, a production company that was started by a guy called Jeff Skoll, who wrote the business plan for eBay. Uh, inspiring guy, and he uh, basically uh, produced Inconvenient Truth. So I came in and I gave him my best pitch. And I said, you know, and here's a presentation, and we're going to take artists out to this, you know, location, and we're going to take rubbish out of the ocean, and we're going to show it as a resource and make it into an art so piece. this is a morphic mass, Just, apparently the size of Texas, although yeah, it's all underwater. Underwater, and this is, this is what we're going to do. And, and yeah. he sort of said to me, he said, look, Dave, I love it, but, you know, you're, he goes, I, I'm a storyteller, and, you know, where's the narrative arc in this? And um, he was like, unless, you know, the artists are choking on plastic, or they fall overboard, or they get in a fight, or, you know, I mean, you're <laughs> saying it's twice the size of Texas, it's not like you're looking for the last of the lowland mountain gorilla. I mean, you're going to bump into this you're get it, thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So he's like, where's the drama? Nice idea, but where's the drama? And I was like, oh, that's a very good point. So I left. I said, thanks, Jeff. Bye. Thanks. Phil dejected. I left. And I thought, what was a great ocean expedition? Is that when you thought, right? if I make it of bottles and it falls apart, <laughs> that's going to be some TV. Great TV, great drama. <laughs> no, I, I was thinking about it. I thought he was right. You need a hook. You need something. Yeah. At that time, I was like, I needed to think of something a bit more dramatic or, or something that would, you know, which is sad, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's like I sit here today and we haven't solved the problem. You know, and, and, you know, maybe hopefully the impact of plastic will be seen in years to come and maybe we'll lessen our, our consumption of plastics. But it's sad that we have to come up with dramatic, you know, events to try and compete with the other 2,500 images and brands that we're bombarded with but every day. But, I mean, day. it is dramatic. Plastiki, have you, got a, have you got a little picture of plastiki there that we can look at while... Oh, yeah, there you go. I'm not sure how many people have made it to Darling Harbour yet to the Maritime Museum to see plastiki. But it's remarkable, and the actual structure with the bottles is incredible. I mean, it's done exactly what you needed to do, which was give this crazy, and yeah. I agree with you, maybe unnecessary, but to give this crazy excitement. Because I know at the San Francisco end, everyone was like, ha, that will not survive a storm. Yeah. And we'll look at the storm soon, I think. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, we'll look at some but, storms. But, you know, it doesn't... I mean, it a lot of skeptics. <laughs> it's a beautiful piece of engineering, um, but it's crazy. That's actually a real photo um, yeah. that I, I managed to jump into the ocean, swim away from the boat. Um, that's actually a rope. You can't see it. It's a man overboard buoy. Uh, which I grabbed onto and took that photo. 
Um, it's pretty amazing to be able to go out and swim in the middle of the Pacific like that. You didn't see um, any sharks either, did you? I saw Just none. That's zero. Zip. Bizarre. And so to come back to your question to Contiki, I mean, Contiki, you know, is probably the most epic and greatest ocean adventure of all time. Thor Hardell and his com Norwegian companions who built this raft, set sail from Calio in Peru to prove this, you know, this migration, these trade winds that, you know, pulled this incredible, um, you know, uh, pre-Columbian, pre-South American Columbian, uh, uh, you know, structure across mm. the uh, Pacific. And, and if you read his accounts and he talks about the abundance of the ocean and you see the 1947 documentary that they put out and which came out I think it was for 1951 you know it is extraordinary there were you know animals diving you know there's beating off sharks and whale sharks and yeah. you know it's just an abundance yeah. right and here we are out in the Pacific for four months and we saw two pods of whales we saw two pods of dolphins we caught three fish that's outrageous everything else yeah. Was empty. And I, I remember what really stuck with me at your press conference on Monday, fresh off the boat, was that you were describing swimming in the middle of nowhere in open sea with this confetti of coloured, tiny, because the thing about the plastic, um, the poly, is it, it turns into these tiny little confetti-like coloured guys. And I remember you were saying yeah. you were swimming there and there were little flecks of red and little flecks of yellow yeah. in the middle of nothing. No. And we were as far away no from, fish. yeah, as far away from humanity. And we can show, I mean, we could jump into some actual real footage if you want to. Um, what we've got here is uh, down here, I mean, um, that's Well, you could go all day on there. I mean, the real footage is amazing. Yeah, I think. and, um, you know, th this was the thing, you know, we, you're out in the middle of nowhere, um, really in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're expecting not to... Uh, See, uh, this is the press conference video. This is some B-roll here. Let's just open that up. Is this the one that was playing in the background? At the this was. Conference? It's a slightly shorter this is great. version. Um, you know, there's a lot of video here. I'll just uh, zip, th pull, pull. So, so for those of you that haven't seen the Plastiki, I mean, it's not only about the bottles, but the bottles are the start of it. So the bottles um, are held together with, uh, and they're recycled soda bottles yeah. from Berkeley. So they were straight out of waste management. So this yeah. actually... What you're seeing here um, is, you know, very early stages, the cabin design. Uh, there are the bottles. Uh, tray out the waste management. We took them, cleaned them, uh, re-energized each one with um, a little bit of CO2. Oh, you know, why, uh, why did they need to be re-energized? Um, well, it was... Um, <laughs> that's an interesting place to stop it. It, was, <laughs> it looks a little dodgy. That was the glue that we actually uh, engineered for the project, which was also uh, a glue that was taking the, uh, the husk of the cashew nut, which actually is poisonous and is a waste item in the process of cashew nuts, and sugar. And we basically created uh, a new bio-based polymer that is now um, going to be uh, hopefully seeing... It's, 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 it's comparable to a marine epoxy, but obviously That's it's amazing. totally benign. You, know, yeah. you can literally eat this stuff, um, not that you'd want to. Probably. But if you got desperate. But if you got desperate. I mean, my <laughs> mum, you know, I, I remember when I first told her this, she was just like, I think, uh, mortified the fact that I was already sailing across the boat on, you know, on the Pacific on a boat made of plastic bottles. And then when I told her about the glue, I think she just <laughs> was like... She's going down. Yeah, this is a mistake. Um, but the, um, the, the bottles, um, as you can see, if I just go back a little bit here, um, there they are. It was straight out of waste management. Um, obviously, PET, plastic bottles. Um, you know, it, it was a breakthrough, I guess, because what we worried about was the compression on the bottles. Okay, um, so, so the, the pressure would actually, would actually make them collapse. Yeah. And so we were sitting uh, in a meeting. At the very early stage, there was a lot of, obviously, concept uh, development in this. And, and you know, it's been a four-year process uh, since the idea kind of bubbled up, since that meeting with Jeff Skoll back in August 2006 um, through to now. Um, it's, you know, pretty much four years. And, 
the bottles, um, you know, are, are, are you know, PET is a, is, is a super strong material. I mean, it's mm. uh, it's super strong because those bottles are under a huge amount of pressure. Yeah. And uh, actually, we're sitting there. And I remember it was a meeting with an Arab, um, and we actually had a round table with them this morning. And one of their guys, Graham Dodd, a material scientist, came in one day, and he had this bottle, and he had a bicycle, a valve on the top, and a bicycle pump, and he pumped this thing up, and he said, "What do you reckon about that?" And I was like, "That's pretty Perfect. genius." Yeah. And um, it was at that point. Then we were like, well, how do we do that? And we actually looked at, oddly enough, doing hyperbaric chamber that you know, divers would use. And we were oh, going to yeah. make a hyperbaric chamber and actually have to sit in there and put the lids on. And we thought, that's going to drive us all mad. So, that would um, anti-age you at the same time, wouldn't apparently it? Apparently, they used to build hotels, hyperbaric hotels yeah. Yeah. In, in Europe in, in the 30s, actually. Yeah. It's incredible. They used to build these massive structures. And you know, they'd be under uh, pressure, I guess. Uh, so, so the bottle, um, and I remember reading also that you described the original concept of this boat made of bottles as a bit like a pomegranate. Which was interesting because I remember looking at the hull the way... Have you got one of the way the hull ended up? Uh, yeah. With I mean, the we, structure. It was, it was amazing. Um, it's my American coming through. The structure. Structure. Uh, here we go. This is... Um, so it actually... Um, um, this is a little bit of a mood board um, from the very early, early stage, which was a concept stage with Michael Paulin, who was uh, an architect from Grimshaw Architecture. He'd been involved in the Eden Project, mm. which is this amazing biosphere down in the south of England in Cornwall. Um, and we started talking about, you know, obviously the, the vessel itself. And, and uh, he, he went away. And, and, and I said to him, I said, you know, the brief really was, you know, the bottles had to be visible and they had to be functional. Um, they couldn't just be aesthetic. They couldn't just be, you know, tagged on afterwards. Yeah. And so we, we, we debated this and we had a lot of roundtable discussions. People were like, oh, you're an idiot. Just melt them down, you know. And I was like, no, they have to be looking like... They sh you know, like you would find them on the shelf in a store because that is the iconic image. Well, of I mean, you ended up with the belts remember. are down because you ended yeah. up with a self-reinforcing PET, which is For the super amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's which a can whole be melted down bottles one day. When yeah. it's, you know, and, and that's where we're so at right everything. now. And you know, so the pomegranate um, actually was an influence. So was uh, on their uh, second up in, in the oh, middle there. Oh, the egg crate. The egg crate, yeah, that's which is right. a high tensile structure. It's the way Japanese traditionally carried eggs. Very, you know, a fragile item. Uh, you know, an egg is a sort of sign of fragility, and you know they're packed together end to end. And then um, the pomegranate, and you know, simple again. You know, traditional materials. Here's some brown paper drawings. Actually, this was uh, oh, cool. some really yeah. early, early sketches. That was the first version of the plastiki. I'm loving was. that one over there with that. Like, yeah, that the, was it. That little pond skater looking catamaran. So why didn't you have like because you had the holes? Why didn't you get the little cool pond skater guy? I know it looked awesome. I mean, we we got really excited by this. The idea was we would pack the bottles together. Um, and, you know, have this sort of uh, truss like you see on the right there, these sort of trusses that we were then going to oh, wrap yeah. up. And, um, you know, a big influence on this project is obviously Buckminster Fuller, um, who's a very, very smart and, and ingenious man. And, you know, there's a couple of Buckyisms that, um, you know, this was at that stage where we started trying to put them together. And one of his, his very smart quotes was, you find out what it is when you find out what it isn't. Oh, yeah. um, and that was definitely uh, a moment here. Uh, where we were basically putting these bottles end to end, and we were starting to. This is on my farm at home, and we were starting to like use uh, plywood and metal to strap the bottles. And um, and you know another one that you know Buckyism was you know do more with less. Yes. And a good kind of rule of thumb for environmentalism is minimalism. You know, and and you know here we were introducing these new materials and introducing you know wire and uh, you know and plywood and um, you know the, the, the idea of you know putting this here, this licorice. I licorice. remember. An architect said to me once, a naval architect, once he saw 
our uh, this this pro, you know this sort of plan. And we you know we went to town on this. We were quite you know we were pretty confident, and yeah. but we'd never built a boat. And the first time we showed it to a naval architect, he looked at me and he said, "You've never been to sea, have you?" <laughs> <laughs> that was my when I read the pomegranate no. thing because I looked at the problem? hull. <laughs> I looked at the hull, and you know it was like the pomegranate without the skin. So you had yeah. all the little seeds, and I thought, "You're you know you're Andy McDowell." Yeah. How did he deal with, you know, you said, oh, by the way, I want them revealed and I know that that'll act like a massive handbrake, but don't yeah. be putting a skin on them. I mean, that's so, a yeah, big I mean, ask. So, yeah, we, we had the fight for it. I mean, as you see the pomegranate, you know, when a pomegranate is whole, it's super tough. And then when you open it up, it's uh, got these little seeds inside. And when you, you know, you sort of put your thumb on them, they shoot across the room. And, well, it's lucky um, that didn't happen. That didn't happen, luckily. So you look at the top there, that sort of star structure and... Um, you know, Andy DeVal was the actual naval architect. He's Australian, so in a way, it's Australian-made. Uh, so it was nice yeah, to be Aussie, 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 Aussie. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> and um, so it was awesome to have that connection. And you know, That's it good. was. Um, let's show you. I'm going to show you the innovation here. Um, you know, with the hulls. Let me just find. There so, it is. so that was the prototype. Um, believe it or not, there we go. That was the, the, the very early prototype. This was before we even figured out what the superstructure material was going to be. Um, so we knew, you know, this was Andy's early, early design, and he actually came up with, uh, let me just jump through here, here's some naval architecture drawings. That was our second model we made. So that model there was based on his uh, drawings, and he could only really do that once we started to um, uh, figure out the, uh, you know, the, the properties of the material that we mm. use for our superstructure. Yeah. And I think that was a big tipping point for me in this project. You know, this is, um, on the left here was one of the materials that we first looked at. It was an eco-board. Uh, they, they marketed it as eco-board, eco-lumber, eco-timber. Yeah. Um, it was pretty useless, to be honest with you. I saw these amazing websites with images of, you know, they said retaining walls and bridges and all these structures. And basically, it's, it's mixed plastics, crush-pressed and, you know, put into a board form. We took this, we, um, you know, this was after about 20 minutes of seeing just sagged. Mm. And I remember sitting there and going, there, there goes, you know, this project, where do we, where do we go from here? Yeah. And this was a real tipping point because I think for me, you know, very early on, everything was, I was, I was obsessed by post-consumer. I was obsessed by this idea that everything had to be post-consumer. And actually, I think one of the things that we've, you know, worked on and throughout this project is that actually waste is, is, is inefficient design. That's a mm -hmm. fundamental principle. And, um, and the second was actually, you know, with the materials. I mean, I asked this question a lot, and I'll ask it to you guys. I mean, the question is, is plastic the enemy? You know, I mean... Can, can it be the enemy? Because it's it, everywhere. It's so ubiquitous, yeah. right? So the question actually, is it plastic the enemy, or is it our inability to understand how we use it, and more, more importantly, how we dispose of it? So at that point, it was like, well, who's actually using smart materials? Who's out there, you know, engineering smart plastics? And so there was a pause in the project, and there was a, a moment where, um, uh, at the time, there was a, a, um, you know, uh, the boat builder and, and Matthew, our exhibition manager, uh, went off. I said, just, we've got to go and find people who, you know, are inventing smart materials. And so they went off and scoured around Europe and, and, and eventually, you know, came back with some fabric material that was a, a PT fabric. Um, and basically, you know, that was the start of, I think, the real deep innovation into the material science side of the project. And that was, you know, again, another lesson that innovation comes from the most unexpected kind of places. And I would have never known that we would have, you know, engineered this new material that I think has revolutionary, world-changing applications in the yeah. real world now. It and, and, you know, the fact that it's not a composite, the fact that you are using self-reinforcing PET, which yeah. is then, you know, you've got all these different ways of using it. The models showing the board and the... Yeah, the, there's... But it means that at the end of the day, you've got less materials to recycle. So you've upcycled, and then when you pull your boat apart and recycle, yeah. 
less different materials, all the same Exactly. It's Exactly. It's, 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 it's a monopolymer, um, which is, uh, you know, it's like a, it looks like a fibreglass. A lot of people, when they come to the vessel, they look at it and say, oh, nice fibreglass, yeah, you know, it it's pity like you had to use it. Um, what you've actually got is you've got... Um, um, a monopolymer, you've got a self-reinforcing plastic, so it uses its own matrix to support itself. So it's, um, you know, self-reinforcing plastics have been around since the 80s, but no one's really ever taken them out of a laboratory. So what we did was we tinkered and, you know, th that, those early shots here on the left, this was in our, um, there's the fabric and there's a core foam. So we pulled some foam from a company called Alcan, which is a, 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 an aluminium company. Uh, the fabric here is a PT fabric, uh, and we tinkered in our rental house in San Francisco and I remember uh, you know, chucking stuff in the oven and burning it and the, the landlord actually lived upstairs and he was like, what are you guys doing? Are you smoking Breathing pot in, in there or something? And we were like, no, we're actually just burning plastics. He's like, uh, get out of our apartment. Um, but the, um, the, the, uh, the plastic, as you can see, I mean, you know, the, the real world, this up here on the right, we just designed this because we were coming to Australia, so it would be kind of cool to design the first fully recyclable uh, post-consumer 100% um, uh, PET surfing. Uh, cool. A skateboard we made there uh, before we left on the project. So what it does is, as I said, it's self-reinforcing. So it uses its own matrix. There's two fibers. There's a high-tenacity fiber, which is your strength fiber, um, which is like the equivalent of glass in fiberglass. And, and then you have a matrix, which is the equivalent of your epoxy um, in fiberglass. And the epoxy has a different melt point. So it basically melts around these high-tenacity fibers. Um, and it means that you get this very rigid laminate once you start the fabric under pressure and heat. And, you know, we spent a lot of time tinkering. We did a lot of R&D, uh, more D than R, um, basically, <laughs> which means it comes with some mistakes. And, you know, now we are seeing uh, the development of this material, which we've actually called Ceratex, which is basically self-reinforcing textile, because that's what it is. I mean, it's interesting because at the moment in cars, there's a lot of experimentation in Europe and in the States with hemp fibre yeah. and using hemp instead of... But, but, that's still got to be in with resin and in with yeah. another material, so yeah. the recycling at the end of life is still Doesn't, tricky, whereas yeah. this thing just arcs straight over the top straight and just it. says, here's the solution. No, and, it's it's a, really you know, and, and I think exciting. this is super exciting. I mean, we're just talking today, and it's blowing my mind. I mean, I haven't, you know, that's, I'm definitely not the brains behind that. There's two guys. I don't even know if they've arrived yet. Um, who are going to come down? Yeah, there was some traffic. We actually had a meeting earlier. Uh, Mike and Greg, they may come, and, and they're going to bring some samples and stuff along for, you know, a bit of show and tell. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we're talking today about containers. I mean, just like, you know, oh, imagine huge. making shipping containers out of 100% post-consumer plastic, yeah. $6 billion worth of plastics thrown into landfill every year. So yeah. have you got, so let's have a look at some video of the sailing thing. Yeah. Because it'd be good <laughs> to hear. That sailing you thing, know, that, you, that yeah, thing you did. Miles. Let's find that you sailing know, thing. I flew, you sailed, whatever. <laughs> but I, because I, it'd be good to hear from you how, what you found out about the weaknesses of that material. I mean, you've journeyed with it in a whole lot of, in a fabric in a fiberglass substitute. Yeah, so here is, let's, you know, this is it here, putting the hull together, as you can see, uh, the cashew nut sugar-based glue, some stress tests on the material, making the frames for the material here. Um, actually, you know, a lot of experimentation. Uh, this is in our, our um, sort of lab in uh, San Francisco. If in doubt, smack it, um, basically, was <laughs> one of our mottos. You know, again, really, really passionate individuals. This is um, recycled, isn't it, the aluminium? Yeah, it's all post-consumer billet, 98% post-consumer billet, irrigation pipes. Um, you know... You know, a few boat builders in the mix, but, you know, at the end of the day, just people who are curious and passionate and, you know, it, it's a testament to team like this, you know, and I think another takeaway message is no one is as smart as everybody, you know, and, and, yeah. and you know, the collectiveness of that teamwork has been extraordinary and, and I think Showcase is one of the greatest examples of teamwork. Mm. Um, so, you know, the boat was built in San Francisco. Um, everything in it was, uh, you know, built in this warehouse that you're looking at now. It's in Sausalito. Um, is, is that the one in Sausalito? Uh, yeah, this is yeah. Uh, actually on, uh, right next to Alcatraz. This was 
probably one of the... There's the Alcatraz Ferry car park, actually, if this is down on the Embarcadero. And uh, that was a moment of truth. So that was that moment <laughs> where I was just going, please don't just go, you know, and, and, and fold in well, half. better then than later, though. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, true. Um, you know, so that was, you know, it was a really anxious moment where we rolled this boat out. And um, it was a bit like, you know, sort of, you know, the birth of a child. It was like, here it is to the world. So for so long, we were hidden in this tiny warehouse, tinkering. And then it was like... Here we are, welcome world to the plastiki. And that's the first stage of kind of letting go. And I think mm. you know, there was a, you know, a lot of kind of emotion at that point. And there everyone... was a lot of public support for this. I remember yeah, every time it, it turned amazing. out, there'd be something yeah. in the paper, there'd be people flopping around. Yeah, it was awesome. People just kind of, a lot I of guess, goodwill towards... got, got into it all, which was really yeah. kind of fun. And um, that did. Guys. See you later. Hope you don't sink. But you know, wait, that how's was, it getting along? Um, so here we are. You <laughs> know, that so... was um, quite a kind of subdued you know, departure there, leaving San Francisco. Um, you know, there was a few kayakers out, um, you know, obviously the boat we tried to design as a sort of floating sustainability station, uh, that was a pretty amazing moment there. I remember, uh, you know, being there, you know, with, uh, Joe Royal, the skipper, who's an incredible woman, I'm sure, She's somewhere. She's an amazing job. Yeah. Is she in here? Is Joe here? Hey, Joe. There she is, hiding it there, so... Amazing uh, job, Joe. Amazing, 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 inspiring. Sailing that crazy boat that didn't, it, didn't at one point sort of sail sideways rather than forward. This, I mean, challenges with having at no one skin. Point? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just been nice. You know, I think it just was trying to sympathise with me being a land crab. You know, land crabs <laughs> run sideways. And uh, I think it was like, you know, look, I can do that too. Um, and so, you know, definitely there were moments where it ran sideways. And, um, you know, Dave Thompson uh, as well, who's an incredible sailor and... Uh, you know, we had this incredible crew, obviously. Um, so this was a pretty special moment. Um, you know, Max Jordan, the filmmaker, and I'm going to mention just because they're incredible people. Mm. Vern Moen, who's actually, you know, we had this, I'll tell you the story in a minute, but uh, his wife had a, a baby while he was at sea oh, on yes. Earth Day. And there's yeah. a whole story about this. It's quite a funny story. Oh, can we just look? And there's the office chair. There's a recycled office chair that has pedals attached. Yeah. Now, was that supposed to propel the whole boat forward? I always wondered. Uh, was that just exercise? That was crew? exercise and also it was uh, generating power. So even the That's sail cool. was made of pieces. So here we are under the water. Mm. Here are the bottles. So as you can see, they're, they're obviously exposed. Uh, they're in a PT frame. Uh, so you can't actually sit with this tubing. So they can't actually get out of the tubing. Um, you know, this was actually one day when we were going very, very slowly um, and we had to drop the sails. Um, and actually, it was one of those very... De- so we actually deployed a sea anchor so that we would... Uh, you know, we were actually trying to get into Christmas Island and the currents were pushing us. And so we decided to dis- deploy the sea anchor to stop us kind of losing our course. And, and we dropped the sails. And, you know, there's a man overboard buoy at the very back. Um, you know, and this thing would tread out. And obviously, because it's a downward vessel falling overboard was probably one of the biggest risks that we faced. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, no one wants to fall overboard. And I remember we were looking out, and then this buoy just passed us. <laughs> and it was that point where you're like, it's a very large ocean, and that's not meant to happen. Because this really, um, it was totally downwind, wasn't it? It really couldn't point much at all. Yeah, and this is actually, you know, a you know, typical example. I mean, that was, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere, just a bit of plastic floating past, and that was oh. a larger one. And, you know, we're literally 1,500 miles away from any bit of land well, I, I was just reading that there's an international treaty or an understanding or whatever it is that if you're 25 miles offshore, it's you open slightly. You can dump open. whatever you want. You know, okay. this, this is nuts, okay. right? I mean, let's, let's, let's put this into context. That's you unbelievable. Know, 72% of our planet is ocean. Um, you know, the fact that we call it planet Earth is a mistake. It should be called planet ocean. Yeah. And, you know, 28% is Pacific, more than our entire land mass. Now, go outside of, as you said, international waters, and it's a free-for-all. You can do whatever you like, so which means that we all own it. I mean, the ocean is ours. Yeah. It's yours, it's mine, it's everybody in this room. And our 
kind of connectivity to the ocean is, is being forgotten. And we talk about the big blue ocean above us a lot because maybe we're exposed to it and you know, we get rained on like tonight. And, but actually, the big blue ocean around us is what drives life. It's where life began. It is you know, the driver of our climatic systems. It is you know, the source of protein for billions of people. It is yeah. undoubtedly the most intriguing and the most precious and the most you know, special of our ecosystems. And it's not just the flat blue horizon. There is the most incredible, majestic nature that you know every little nuance its little characteristics the way the waves move and where it speaks to you the way you just honestly you can see i've been on the boat for far too long but it is it is incredible and it is so so special and the fact that we have just exploited its deepness we've exploited it you know with its you know overfishing and we've got these slaughter boats Mm -hmm. that go out there and, and can produce you know and manufacture 200 tons of fish a day you know, that the nets... And are, they just cut the nets you know, off and they're and done. They, and they're done. And, you know, the fact that we're dumping, you know, plastic, uh, you know, indiscriminately, uh, sometimes by mistake, but, you know, we are dumping But it's unbelievable that it's acknowledged and, and done. And, then, and, and these little bits of plastic are turning up in seabirds all over the place and fish all over the place. Yeah, and, and, and again, you know, as we're saying, you know, it's turning up in not only in, in marine mammals and, you know, hundreds of thousands of marine mammals every year uh, or 100,000 marine mammals every year, you know, estimated to be, you know, killed and... Uh, but from ingesting plastics. 19 of the 21 species of albatross right now are endangered because of plastic. And, there are some incredible you know, photos. Unbelievable. Chris Jordan those, is an yeah. incredible photographer. If you haven't mm. seen his work, he's gone out and he's doing a four-year project on the albatross. And, um, you know, I think it's about 370-odd pieces of plastic were found recently mm. inside one chick, albatross chick. Um, and, you know, they are up there soaring, you know, looking for fish. And then they look down and they see these little red bits of plastic thinking they're krill or shrimp and they die and they eat them. And then they go back all the way to their chicken they feed them and you know in plastic that's yeah. olaf hardell in his boxer shorts in case anyone wants that to was know. a really it was a really small cabin too i mean i it was I'm amazed that that many of you coexisted for that amount of time yeah and i remember them saying at the beginning and these walls were pristine and very beautiful translucent the sapt was yeah. a beautiful translucent material that you'll probably end up making a modular house out of and selling a million um but i remember thinking you're going to design it yeah <laughs> ulterior motive but I remember thinking you know how how are you going to do they, they were saying at the time it was pristine and they said oh what we're going to do is we're going to write poetry on these walls as we sail and I was thinking come on you've got what sweet. six people in this tiny space you can see they're writing poetry I don't think so um but how did that how did that go uh, you little know, cabin little cabin um you know but a team of people that you know I guess I have to let the laundry still up you know on the you side there incredibly with the incredibly best friends when you um, all got off the boat yeah you know we have a good facade <laughs> And it's just, this we, is we hold the a good storm. front. Is this the storm? Um, no, no, this is just, you know, this, this is what Joe loves hanging off the boat. I, I, love, like, this. I love this footage. This you is know, so, um, so this is obviously, you know, this is, you know, the sea was getting rough and often checking the bottles, you know, you know, and then there's times when it's just beautiful, you know, and there you are out in the middle of nowhere. Wind and, turbine. You know, the wind turbine in the background, Olav having a bath. There's a fresh salt, you know, water shower every day. Is this your special um, Kiehl's product that they formulated for you? Cross yeah, we did. We did cross terrain, three in one, you know, smell great. Um, there's the pedal bike, uh, pedaling away there, <laughs> reading my book, uh, generating a little bit of electricity, a uh, bit of a story. Here's one of the fish we caught. One of I mean, the three fish. One of three. And, you know, I, I, there was a lot of, um, I guess, um, you know, playing games on board there. Uh, that was one of the more chilled uh, moments. Um, you know, and those are the special moments when you're sitting there. Um, you know, cooking was a big thing. We could talk about that. You know, obviously, San Francisco has a lot of uh, great farmers' markets down yeah. at the ferry building, and so there was a huge amount of support from the farmers' markets. Joe spent a lot of time, uh, you know, interacting with uh, a lot of the farmers and, you know, foraging. I remember one time, it was very sweet. Sorry about this, Joe. Joe comes back and she goes, you know, I learned how to uh, undress a rabbit. 
I was like, undress a rabbit means skin a rabbit. <laughs> and the phrase she uses, undress it, which I thought was really sweet. It's a nice so way of saying... So were carrying meat and things on? Um, yeah, we had, um, wow. we had uh, uh, all pre-packed jars of food, uh, working with SF chefs, yep. and they canned food. And uh, the pressure cooker, who knew? What an amazing pressure cookers. People know about pressure cookers out there? Genius. With pressure so I wonder, so what I might do... I mean, you're worried that they're going to blow up in your face half the time. I but, and but, then melt all the bottles. Yeah, just, and just bang! <laughs> you're like, oh, that'll learn you. Um, but they're extraordinary. I wonder, should we... W would people like to jump up on the... Because um, I'm mindful of the time. Would people like to ask questions yet, or should we watch more of David's video? Want to see one of the storms that we went through and everyone's reaction? Yeah, I think we should see the storms. Yeah. <laughs> you could start coming down. If you have questions, you could Storm. start coming down. <laughs> Love that one. To the mics, because we're going to get you to then address when, it, when the storm is over. You could, anybody would like to ask a question, could stand uh, and ask one. Let me go back, and uh, this is quite a funny, uh, oops, I'm going to rename the folder now. Here it goes. And vertical, while you're, while you're fiddling with that, because you're multitasking. Vertical gardens, vertical awesome. vegetable garden. Here's a storm, here's a little 60 uh, two-knot winds, five-metre swells. Only two weeks out from Australia. Please don't fall apart. <laughs> Two days ago, uh, the Plastiki was cruising along in very, very light wind. Uh, I just got off watch with Vern and Mr. T, and we were probably about two hours into our three hours of sleep, and I remember being woken up by Mr. T shouting, all hands on deck. I guess it was technically a storm. 12 knots away from being a hurricane. I guess a hurricane happens at 72 knots, and we were at... 60 knots, which I had no idea or no concept of what 60 knots was, because the most wind we'd had before was probably 30 knots. So we basically doubled what we'd uh, ever dealt with. I mean, we're always trying to avoid anybody trying to avoid major storms if you can. Um, you know, this boat, especially for the amount of flex and the unknown factor that's still with the boat. I've always been apprehensive of the Tasman Sea and what we were going to face. And this was kind of like my own worst nightmare coming to fruition. Um, the main problem with the, um, was the fact that it wasn't forecasted. So we were sailing along pretty much like we are right now on, on starboard jive. We were struggling to maintain any apparent wind. And all of a sudden the wind shifted from um, through 100 degrees. So it came round to the other side of the bay and it creased to 60 knots in a, like that. It was incredibly fast. And uh, yeah, it picked up so fast. I was really excited. I thought it was great. You know, I was sort of. I've been He's waiting the filmmaker for this moment. For National Geographic. So um, he was like, "Yeah, so great. you know, since we board. set off, I uh, put my life jacket on. I looked around down the front of the boat, and I looked up at the rig, and it was almost kind of at this 90 degree angle. So we're trying to get down the headsail first, and just pulling the headsail in was such, such hard work. In fact, we lost two of the hanks on the top, and all of a sudden the headsail's streaming aft. And we came out here and we wrestled this headsail like I'd never wrestled anything in my life. Uh, it was like hanging on to the cape of a flying bear. I mean, it was, it was nuts. The wind was howling and the waves were just picking up. And it all happened in a really, really short space of time. We went from you know, being in reasonable winds to being in really intense conditions. And then got pounded for the next eight hours by some of the biggest waves you're probably likely to see. It was the first time I really like felt the power of the sea right in my face. It's so cool, you know, to be in those <laughs> sorts of situations and you're just at the mercy of something which is so greater than yourself. And the only thing you've got to keep you safe is this crazy boat that we built. 
And it's great to see her perform in those conditions, you know. And she just rose up like a cork and then crashed down the other side. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was too bad. And then I spoke to Joe sort of, you know, the next day or, or the following morning or something. And she said, oh, you know, we... we it's the closest we've ever got to, to losing the mast, and um, you know, we, nearly, we, nearly bust the, you know, we nearly bust all the sails and, and buckled the mast in two. So, I don't know, maybe I was just sort of, uh, you know, off in my own well, tripping out on the, on the excitement. <laughs> I mean, did you ever, because the cabin of that is so unlike a boat cabin, too, on top of everything else, it's so unlike a boat. It's not streamlined, it sticks out, it's this crazy little angle. I mean, did you ever think... It's all going to fall down and the cabin's going to crash open and oh, waves aren't really spilling off this like you thought it would. Uh, you know, the, it's amazing. It was a, a very wet boat. I mean, and, you know, we've yeah. got these, uh, you know, these massive gaps in the deck and, uh, you know, you'd be sitting there and these waves would just pop up and burst through underneath oh, and, yeah. and sort of, you know, you'd get soaked and you'd sit there and you'd be like, awesome. And actually we had these funny, <laughs> we have these funny, um, really funny moments. Um, I'm not sure if I've got one. Here's a couple of snaps I just grabbed. Um, this is a great one. This is, um, this is Vern. Um, he was on the helm. And basically, we've got these hydrostatic uh, life jackets. And so basically, if you get a lot of water on them, they just go off. And uh, once they go off, they, you know, they kind of choke you. And, like, <laughs> and, and I remember him sitting there, this shot of him, and you know, this massive wave you know, just hit him and went off. And uh, there was a very, very funny moment. And uh, if you're... And, and Max, the guy who said, you know, I'm tripping out, maybe, the filmmaker, he was um, taking a pee over the side, and uh, his life jacket went off. So he was <laughs> running around, uh, <laughs> Willie hanging out, <laughs> you know, running up to Joe, going, help, help, help. <laughs> Joe's like, just put that away, and I'll help you with your life jacket, you know. Um, so, the, you know, funny, funny moment. And Vern is, you know, it's obviously a big grin on his face, but those are the funny, funny moments, and... You know, this was one of the extraordinary things about the exhibition was, you know, obviously there's a serious message to all of this and, you know, being, you know, having partnered with Hewlett-Packard and Inmarsat allowed us, I think, probably the most connected expedition uh, possible. Yeah, you were tweeting the Non-stop. entire time. It's yeah, crazy. over 800 tweets on the boat. I didn't really believe you were out there. Yeah, and, well, we weren't. Yeah. Hmm. Keep on telling you that. Yeah. yeah, we're in a hotel in Vegas, <laughs> just like the lunar landings. Um, but the... Um, you know, this was extraordinary. So we got this unbelievable connectivity, which allowed us to obviously share the adventure with, you know, millions of people throughout the four months. And there was this uh, moment, obviously, uh, we had Skype on board, which is pretty amazing. You can Skype and see on the boat. And um, I remember it was Earth Day, so there was obviously a lot of interest in what we were up to and a lot of media interest. And, you know, these requests come through. And um, basically, Vern's wife was uh, pregnant, and we were hoping that we'd get him off the boat before the birth. And... Um, now, on the 21st of uh, April, in the middle of the night, uh, he gets the phone call, I've gone into labour. And obviously, he was still on the boat. Tricky. Uh, tricky. So, um, you know, he's up all night on the phone, talking to her and going through this whole procedure. And, you know, and um, basically, the next morning, um, you know, Earth Day, and I've got some interviews to do, and I meant to go live with uh, Al Jazeera to talk about, you know, this with Charles Moore and a few other people about this plastics issue. You know, they pitch this whole thing, and it's a big live event on Al Jazeera. And, and, and Katie went for my team's ring again, you've got to get on the phone. I'm like, well, no, his wife's having a baby. I'm not going to tell him to get off the phone. You know, that will have to wait. And we'll, can we do a Skype? So we said, oh, we'll do a Skype. So, so we Skyped and we're talking to Al Jazeera. All I can hear in the background is, is I'm going, can you see the head? Can you see the head? Um, you know, what is it? What is it? And, and all of a sudden, up pops, you know, they managed to get the firewall in the hotel and uh, in the hospital, rather. 
and up pops this little thing, and it's his mother-in-law. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm so distracted. Olav's walking around in his Beyond Ball boxer shorts. Max is <laughs> tripping out on the film. Everyone, you know, Joe and me are just, like, in hysterics. And, and, and this whole moment's happening. And, and so, and, and, and Vern's on the phone. And, uh, and, and what was quite funny was Vern actually thought that I was, because he, you know, we were on the computer trying to get his wife onto Skype, and, um, or the mother-in-law onto Skype, and Vern thought I was actually talking to his mother-in-law, going, did you know how much plastic is in the ocean? And he's like, stop And he's saying. like, what the hell is he talking to the doctor for, or my mother-in-law, about plastic in the ocean? At which point, um, you know, finally, you know, bang, we're in the birthing room, and I'm like, I don't want to see this. This is kind of nuts. What the hell is that? You know, and Vern is obviously, you know, like emotional, and he's like, it's, 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 and it froze. And it just froze, Skype froze at that very moment when there was just like a blob on the screen, and it was like, what is that? I think you and he, Becca, did you a favor on that one. And, and, and Vern was like, uh uh-huh, you know, sort of desperately hitting the keyboard and trying to get this thing back up, and, you know, we reconnected, and it was a boy, and, you know, uh, William Grizzly Moen was born, uh, little Grizz, um, who is incredible, um, you know, part of the team now, I guess. Sweet egg. Oh, but can we do a quick um, part of the team? Can you stand up, David, and just go through? Because now bits of this are recycled, and all of it's recyclable. The shoes, yeah. Crazy Beanie. I guess everything Bella is, Clara. really, even me. Well, hey. Apparently, you can yeah. turn me into something somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of... What we try to do is brand extensions and, you know, I guess there's probably a lot of people who, you know, I mean, it's about telling the story through different lenses. And, you know, for example, this clothing was, was really fun to work with, um, you know, some designers out of San Francisco called The Nice Collective who are based there, local guys, awesome, you know, and when it came to designing the cabin, it was, again, this kind of plasticky karma. They turned up one day and I was yeah. a fan of their work and they're like, oh, we're based in San Francisco, we read about you. Uh, you know, and your project, what you're up to, and we'd like to contribute. And, you know, we tried it. This was a kind of a bit of a, you know, a nod to uh, Cousteau and, you know, and a bit of fun. And, you know, our sort of That's being right. out of San Francisco was like, you know, the gay pirate thing and uh, <laughs> um, the gay pirate thing. So he didn't went for the pink. And, you know, this was, you know, these, these jumpers were actually all sewn and locally and, and done uh, actually by a teacher um, locally who was on, on this crazy machine. And, um, you know, so a lot of it was done you know, obviously with passion and, and people who just wanted to contribute and, you know, the brand extension that, um, you know, being kind of fun. And, you know, Nike is uh, someone uh, that I've been working with for a while. I'm actually working. really interesting stuff with End of Life. Yeah, they're really interesting stuff. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of people who go, ooh, you know. And, you know, actually it's amazing what Nike's been doing. And yeah. um, I'm working actually with their extreme sports athletes. And these shoes we designed specifically with them. Um, you can see inside there's the bottle boat there. Uh, I think these are the only ones in the world at the moment. These are actually Joe's design, uh, the colours to remind her of the oh, ocean. Cool. And Joe, there's a swallow, there's a swallow on there um, that uh, marks 5,000 miles for a uh, you know safe passage. Said as you get the swallow tattoos. But what's really interesting about it is, you know, we started talking to him about the glues and about what we had engineered. And so there's no glues in here in the actual fabric. It's um, it's all. Uh, you know, glueless, and um, the actual new construction of the sole here was uh, not using a traditional autoclave, it was actually, which is baking it with glue, but actually was a new process that they engineered just for the shoe. They were so excited with this that they're now bringing it out as a mainline shoe. So, you know, the, 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 the sort of, you know, the on, the on life of that, you know, is, I don't know what the so impact will be. I mean, close. we're, yeah. Um, That's a fresh yeah. one. Matt has not done four months of French. saying. That one has? No, it hasn't. It hasn't at oh, okay. all. Um, okay. Because I just wore bare feet. <laughs> Actually, it's some, did some cool. So the other shoe had a, had a cross. Very we, cool. um, 
We did one shoe with a cross on the bottom of the two to ward off sharks, which was actually... Which you didn't need. Which you didn't even need see any. But I actually ended up in Samoa getting a cross on my foot, um, which was traditional tattoo, and I thought that was... Um, because it's obviously a bit of an odd thing to do, we but I ended up being... We do have sharks in Sydney, Yeah, so it Yeah, it does. So, um, but then I thought, well, we might as well turn into X marks a spot, and so means I guess I'm always staying in the spot. You know? <laughs> silly little things, silly little things that you do. When you're at sea. These are awesome. And, and How do you know if you're a pirate? Dread Pirate Roberts. I just you am. just are. I just am. Arr. Anyone know what a pirate's favourite letter is? R. Nope, it's a P. It's a P with one leg. Because hey. it's, a, it's, a, it's an R with one leg, rather. Sorry, I missed the joke there. Do I have... Um, Sorry, I was at sea with only a few people. <laughs> Nobody has come down to the mics, but you must. There must be... No questions. questions Brilliant. Awesome. David. I can keep on asking questions all night, but it might be nice if somebody else had a go. No? We'll keep on talking. I think we're intimidating yeah, people. All right. yeah. it is, I get, maybe it is intimidating. Come, come on down. I don't want to make it intimidating. Come on down. Price <laughs> is right. What other... Um, ships, did you see when you're out at sea? Did you see any other gay pirates? <laughs> I didn't see any other gay pirates. Um, you know, we, ships, obviously other ships are one of the things that you worry about. Um, you know, it's one of the other big concerns is being hit by another ship, especially those big container ships. I mean, they move at 20, 25 knots, closing speed from the York Horizon Line, which is on average maybe 8 to 15 miles. It's about 20 minutes. So, you know, every 50 minutes, you, you know, you're meant to go out and have a look. Both sides have checked. No, no. Okay, great. And uh, actually, it was one night um, just before the storm, um, and um, we were. It was myself, Mr. T, uh, Dave Thompson, and, and Vern on on watch. And I came out and I saw. I, I'd actually come out and I said, "Oh, you know, there's. I can see a, you know, boat on the horizon." And they were like, "Yeah, uh, well, we've seen it." I was like, "Well, it seems to be getting a little closer. Are you concerned about that?" And then they're like, "Well, how, you know, Mr. Like, well, how close?" So this whole thing went on, and finally it was like. Oh, I can see it's starboard light, and I can see it's port light, which basically means it's coming straight at us, you know? This so is night time. This is night time, pitch black. Wow. So we're on our way from New Caledonia, from Numea, obviously, towards uh, Australia. And um, I was like, all right, it is coming straight at us. Yep, that's right. And, and so Mr. T ran inside, got on the, the, you know, the, onto the radio, you know, ship in the vicinity of, you know, whatever we were at. No response, and... I'm like, uh, yeah, it's definitely getting closer. <laughs> definitely getting closer. So this whole scenario went on, the adrenaline starts to run, and it's like, I'm just kind of like, I can't believe this actually happening. This boat is coming pretty, pretty fast towards us. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it happens quite quickly. We've got the man of a board torch shining on the head sail to try and illuminate ourselves, and no response. You know? so we did have flares, and, but there was no response. And, in, you know, in the last minute, the boat kind of, you know, just moved. It, didn't, it never even responded to us. It, it just you know, changed better. course. I think maybe it was trying to sort of uh, fucking hippies. Yeah. Um, so, um, I'll give you bottles. I'll give you gay pirate. Ooh. Try steel. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> um, so the uh, um, so here, here, you know, this thing just like <laughs> went past and motor passed, and you can smell the diesel, and you can. And it was actually quite an unbelievable night. There was massive pops of lightning coming through the clouds, and. Um, you know, it had been this really, it was actually uh, the night before the storm hit, so it, no wind at all, dead, dead, dead calm, and, and, you know, we're in this kind of convection zone between high and low pressure systems, and so the, um, you know, the sky, the, there was something really weird that night in the atmosphere, and you could see it, and then, you know, the silhouette of the, the boat would come up with a flash of lightning, and you'd see it, and it was it's all quite spooky, and... Um, there's a, 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 a system called AIS, which allows you to see other ships and their identity, and if they've got, if they're also carrying an AIS. So who were they? The name of the ship was Forest Harmony. 
Isn't that hilarious? Not, yeah. I mean, ironic. I was thinking, you know, killed wow. by a boat called Forest Harmony. Imagine that. It would have been Harmony, like, who didn't that's even karma. Say, yeah, sorry about that. We're coming. You know what I mean? It would have been like environmental project, you know, knocked out of the ocean by a forest. forest. <laughs> 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 yeah. It would just been like tree huggers hit by a uh, forest in the middle of ocean. We've Imagine got a question. Ever. This is over this. Oh, it's a piece of We've paper. Got more questions. Oh. All right, I'm here for that. Um, well, two-part question, I guess. Firstly, um, if you have any um, film or images of the waste you must have encountered across on the trip to perhaps share. And then following from that, I'm just wondering, given all the effort you've put into design that you've shared with us, where the design could go from here, for example, any other replica smaller-scale boats that can be used in some of the larger cities' harbours around the world or maybe a larger version of the boat that we can could put a one-way trip for some of the politicians, but at least... Send, if it's big enough, you could sort of require some leaders to go on here and see if they can stop paying lip service to leadership in these areas, but actually yeah. experience it for yourself and do a please explain. So, so yeah, true. a couple of ideas there. Or take it to Burning Man, I'm just saying. I do that. It's a very good idea. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, um, one of the... Uh, oops, I'm going the wrong way here. Um, I'd imagine if you were doing another boat, you'd be looking more at the SRPET than bottles per se, because bottles per se weren't the best sailing no, in terms of building that, a boat. Yeah, you know, building um, uh, you know, building a boat out of plastic bottles obviously is throwing up a lot of challenges. And, you know, one of the, as I said, the original reports um, about plastic in the ocean... Um, not there anymore. There we are. Okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, the... The one of the things that's really hard with the footage of this, and this is where we have to sort of manage the expectations and the imagination, the media has told us that there's a floating island of trash. But there isn't a floating island of trash, right? So it is basically subsurface. 61% is less than a millimetre in diameter. So plastic basically photodegrades. So filming it in the ocean is super, super, super hard. Um, you know, we're still obviously going through a lot of footage. I, I've only just got off the boat, so I haven't actually got um, a huge amount of footage of that at the moment. And I think you're going to see... Um, you know, there's some good stuff online. The VBS, uh, Vice Magazine, did a really good report where they've scooped up, you know, some... It looks like a snow globe, basically, um, if you imagine, just suspended particles of plastic. We actually, um, when we travelled, this is the North Pacific Jar, we actually skimmed through the edge of it. So we didn't... We couldn't get out into... Someone's playing music. Do you hear that? That was well, awesome. It's um, Forest Harmony. Yeah, it's Forest Harmony <laughs> coming at us. We didn't... Um, um, get straight into the North Pacific Jar because there's very little wind and it wasn't somewhere that we could actually reach. And what we were trying to do actually was showcase that, you know, it wasn't just one patch. That there are actually five patches around our islands, wherever the jars are. Um, and these are basically, you know, swirling vortexes uh, where aggregation of plastic is occurring. Um, so I think, you know, one of the problems with this issue is that there's a vortex that happens. You know, there's a sort of a, a TARDIS in a way. When you put something in the bin you know, the rest of that is over. It's invisible. You know, th there's, no, there's no trace. You don't actually follow it from where it goes. And there's been some interesting um, work done with MIT uh, recently where they've done Trash Tracker. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's really cool. Yeah. Where they've actually put a tracker onto bits of trash, what their journey is and where it ends up. Um, so at this stage, I can't really show you anything more than we've got here on that side of things. Um, did National you know, Geographic photographer, did you get some photos that aren't ready yet? That uh, might yeah, we've be got some stuff. National I mean, it's, you can imagine, though, when you're there and you're going down the side of, of, uh, and you see, you know, when you get towards coasts and when you're, when you're on the coast and, uh, you know, and you're getting closer to land, you start to see trash in the ocean. And, you know, we've got, I mean, you know, I'll show you this. Uh, you know, this is just a typical scene that you'll see. There will be... Um, you know, 
it's just your usual harbour scene. Uh, no, that's boxer shorts. Um, <laughs> let's just skim through here. Uh, there you go. There it was. You know, um, let's, let's let it run from there. Um, this is typical, you know, making running repairs um, as you go. Um, but the, um, you know, you would suddenly, you'd come outside and you'd spot, you know, sort of some floating trash and then you'd be like, oh, it's a cup, styrofoam, certain areas of stuff. I mean, this was just in, in, in you know, typical port shots um, in harbour. Um, that's an, it'll come back in a second. Um, and, you know, but it, it has been very hard to actually capture that and, and, and sort of show it as, you know, this sort of, I guess, this, this, this problem that it is because it really is very hard to photograph when you're out there and you're on a, a certain path, you can't manoeuvre that well, and something comes floating past, you try and take shots of it, and we've got some sort of very blurry shots and some other shots that I think will come out which, you know, don't actually in any way do it justice and convey this, the severity of this issue, which makes it very hard, which means that we are getting people coming online and saying, you know, in commentary um, on this issue in general, you know, this is a spoof, there's no such thing as plastic in our ocean, and, you know, and, and we aren't, uh, you know, we haven't got this problem at all, and, you know, obviously that's... Um, you know, one of the, 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 uh, the issues that we face is kind of conveying, um, you know, that these little bits of plastic are actually there. And I think when you look at it, when it gets into the ocean, um, it either sinks, 70% of it is sitting on the ocean floor, um, or it gets kicked out. And, you know, you go on to any clean-up. I mean, we're associated with Clean Up Australia and um, Clean Up the World, Ian Keenan, who, who was uh, one of the founders of that, or is the founder of that, he's, along with Kim McKay, guy. who's sitting right there. Amazing lady. Um, you know, these, uh, you know, beach cleanups are showing actually the, the, the deluge and the amount of plastic in its visual form. Um, so, you know, I think there, you know, we, we will be putting some footage out and um, at this stage, um, you know, I would say that it does exist. It's not a fake. It's not uh, a problem that is, you know, going to disappear. It's, uh, you know, obviously um, only just the beginning, I think, of understanding the implications of this. And I think what's even more important for people to understand, so I kind of interested with it as a typical sort of shot, you know, you can see mm. the majority of, um, this is actually just, you know, the majority, yeah, the majority of, no, this was actually just in the harbour, um, and actually as we came into one of the harbours, um, the, the, the typical um, items that are ending up in there are the plastic bags, the styrofoam cups and containers, the, um, um, the lids from the bottles, and also the um, uh, plastic, uh, plastic bags, styrofoam cups, lids, and the PT bottles. Um, but as I was saying, as it photodegrades, what happens is it gets sm smaller and smaller and it moves into molecular-sized pieces. Those pieces are then ingested back into the food system. Every year, the UN estimates it's about 2 billion litres of toxic waste from agricultural runoff, from big industry runoff, your dioxins, your non-organic pollutants, your PCBs, all running into the ocean, obviously, out from riverways. And the oil base and the plastic attracts these toxins. And so as it starts to attract to these, these become these highly toxic like nodules, tablet. like a tablet. A tablet of nasty. Exactly. And as they're living in the life layer, suspended below the surface, not on the surface. So, you know, when you look out the ocean, it looks fine. But actually, it's subsurface in the life layer. You're ending up, um, basically, um, this plastic getting sucked into by the filter feeders, by the arthropods and the salps and the little guys who are just literally going like this, constantly sucking up plastic. And as they suck it up, it starts to work its way up the food chain. So by the time it gets into, you know, a bit of fish, uh, or by the time it gets, you know, up to the bigger guys that we're eating, you know, there's, there's high pockets of toxicity. And that's why when you start to see, and the, and the more sort of the fattier the fish, uh, the more, you know, the lipids, it actually binds to the, the, to the fats. Uh, and that um, obviously, um, you know, is, is transferring a huge amount of toxins. And, you know, you take the Inuit up in Greenland. I spent some time in Greenland. And, you know, 
uh, Inuit communities can't breastfeed their kids anymore because mm. there's flame retardants in their breast milk. Yeah. You know, I mean, those are the crazy things that we're seeing because well, they're BPA's eating so... Americans breast milk too. Exactly, yeah. and it's, uh, it's nuts when you start to read these things. And, you, and so the health issue, I think, is only just beginning. We're very nascent in understanding this, you know, the, the, the implications of that. Um, so that hopefully answers a bit of that. And then I guess on the second side, in terms of where do we see this going and where do we hope it goes, I think there's, um, you know, um, huge potential, obviously... I don't know if we'll see many more bottle boats. I hope that we see people taking the plastique as a metaphor for change. And, you know, one of the things that we're trying to um, actually end up doing with the plastique at the very end of its life cycle uh, or at the end is this, this is, um, you know, something that, um, you know, we just thought about now is actually taking the plastique cool. around the globe and, uh, you know, putting it into a global ocean exhibit that will hopefully showcase some of the stuff that we found, some of our, you know, uh, documentary and, and also become an innovations lab and showcase, you know, other people's stories and showcase, uh, you know, the innovation that went into the project and we become a floating education centre in its own right. I mean, a sort of moving education centre, rather, uh, using old containers, going into ports. And so this is, uh, this is the second part of the dream and something that I have no idea how we'll do it, where we'll get it, you know, going. And, but it's, uh, it's a dream that's out there now and it's something that we're going to start working on. And it might make you an explorer in residence, frankly. You know. I hope not. I mean, that sounds like you have to stay in, indoors. You I know? think what's really interesting is that it is an exploration, and so what you set out to do, you know, we're so used to everything just coming. We, we decide we're going to go do it, we're going to see the geysers, we're going to do this, we're going to photograph it, it's all done, doof, end up in Sydney. But the fact is, it was an exploration, and you were limited by this experimental stuff that you were doing. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of us expected to see these incredible photos with all the confetti getting lighter and lighter as it went down and things, but what happened was that in exploring the materials you were exploring, you were limited in the way you could sail. And it's quite exciting that people can still be limited. Yeah. I rather mean, like that. You yeah. know, if you'd gone in a motorboat, you would have just been right in amongst it. Yeah, but no, totally. the fact that you've actually made this journey in this we, crazy boat. There was always this organic nature to it, you know. I mean, we, we didn't know where we were going to end up when yeah. we left. And we didn't know that, you know, we, we, we would have loved to go on to certain places. And, you know, when we were planning this thing, we sat there and we went through this whole... Um, you know, sort of map, and we're like, oh, we could stop here and there, and, you know, we really didn't know where we were going to go, and I think that was the organic bit yeah. of the nature, and, and obviously, we had to try and plan, because we tried to do crew changes, and, you know, we had some incredible people on the boat, and, uh, but it's been, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really been an extraordinary, obviously, adventure in itself. I've got a question, and then I've got a, I have, yep, go for it. Oh, hi, you, you've answered part of my question, it was about the plastic getting into the food chain. Um, I'm wondering, whether scientists are testing those toxins that are in the fish now that are being sold around the world. And the other part of the question was, um, do those minute pieces of plastic ever decompose completely or do they always remain as elements of plastic? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just asked the latter one very quickly. It, it doesn't, you know, no one really knows. I mean, plastic hasn't is... Hasn't so far. Hasn't so far, right? So it's, it's, as you said, it photodegrades, it gets smaller and smaller. Um, there are now um, some studies coming out on toxicity in marine life, but it's, again, it's so early on. I mean, these are, you know, new issues that are really just arising and people are starting to understand the implications of, you know, uh, you know these human fingerprints. And I think hopefully we'll see a bit more traction you know, in that, because at the end of the day, we're, we're all concerned about us, aren't we? Well, hello, there's a hole in here, sorry, that's really weird. You know, um, <laughs> You're well, like, oh, thanks, about time. Like, um. <laughs> you, you know, on the Northern California, just where I'm living now, where you were, yeah. or you, um, the sea otters were all dying, and they couldn't work out why, and they put it down, they worked out that the kitty litter was being washed out into the ocean, the sea snails were eating the kitty litter, it was full of nasty toxins, mm. and then the otters were eating the sea snails. 
and now it's the main cause of death in the otters along the Monterey coastline. There is I mean, and then to build on kitty that, litter impregnated just frightening. snails. And, you know, I mean, again, you know, when you build on that and you start, I mean, I heard about the ring seals and, and, and not ring seals, but the harbour seals, rather, in San Francisco that were actually starving themselves because they weren't, weren't starting to eat the fish because of the amount of toxins in the fish. That's kind of frightening. Um, but again, I guess it comes back to this thing that we've created this false dichotomy that there's nature in us. And we've externalised ourselves from the way of life and we've created this very much as process of in here, out there. And, you know, we, we've even got to the stage where we're manufacturing nature at the detriment of nature. I mean, there's, you know, there's, a, you know, an ocean dome in Japan, this incredible structure, $300 million structure with the roof that retracts and the marble sand, just like the real thing, but doesn't stick to your skin. And, you know, and, and, and you go through this brochure and the pièce de resistance is that, you know, go to the second floor and there's an observation deck where you can look at the real ocean. You know, well, and it's built 300 you know, metres away from the real ocean. And so you know, we, we've created this crazy system and uh, you know, we've forgotten that basically everything uh, that we touch, taste, wear and smell and, and, and feel and um, you know, everything comes from the natural environment. And we've only got a certain amount of resources and we've obviously got this voracious appetite for growth which is getting us into real trouble. And we've designed uh, our products in a way that are very symptomatic and they're, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're not designed holistically to look at the cause and effect and you know, they are designed to throw out. You know, we don't fix things yeah. anymore, we just yeah. basically consume and chuck. And you know, the book on the table here is um, you know, one of the influences, I'm sure all of you guys Brilliant. know this, but yeah. you know, Michael Brownhart and Bill McDonough's book, you know, Cradle to Cradle, um, again sort of sums up by you know, there is no such thing as, as waste in the natural world and there's really metabolism and nutrition and that's exactly what um, hopefully you know, is, is, is the movement, it's the exciting part. I mean, it's exciting to be here with, you know, Upcycle. minds. Upcycle. Who, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Minds who are here are going to be designing. Now, we now know the cause and effect of everyday consumptive habits. And so to be able to design and, and know this now is exciting. It's not about regression. It's about process. It's about saying, you know, we've got this exciting time on our doorstep where we can start to understand materials. And as you said about the politicians, it's like, when are they going to wake up and actually lead and stop taking these stupid short-term populist votes yeah. or policies rather that are you know really not sustaining or helping to sustain life on this planet as we know it so you know it's kind of tragic to be here and, and hear you know these uh, as you call them shock jocks and people you know denying climate change oh, you know it's like what's going on yeah really nuts I've got, I've got a question and i've got a question oh look check it out hold it yeah that's wow hello well, well, well your question's here first gotta go here first focus on the what no, no, the other... gotta look at that in a minute <laughs> um, I believe the Sydney Girls' School has banned the use of um, single-use plastic bottles. Yeah. Are you aware of any other positive outcomes, secondary or you know, either from the public or from um, government policy that uh, you've influenced with this campaign? Um, yeah, it's been extraordinary, actually. I'm you know, totally humbled by it every day. We're getting these incredible emails from people who have really just, I mean, far exceeded my expectations, and I wish I had... Some of them on this um, laptop, I don't. Um, I actually have my other laptop. Uh, this is not my laptop. This is <laughs> but, um, you know, incredible letters from people all over the world, um, literally saying, you know, I've stopped doing this, I'm doing that, I'm undertaking this. We've had schools. I mean, I got an email, a tweet, actually direct tweet the other day, yesterday, um, you know, a community group uh, in the UK who have just launched a centre called the Plastiki Centre. Uh, which is going to uh, educate kids on recycling and on materials. And, Can I um, hold up while you're talking about that, your kids' you know, book? Yeah, this My is, kids think it's awesome. Well, I wrote this a while ago, and it, no, no, publishers didn't really want to touch it. So crazy we, uh, kids' book. It is a kind of a crazy kids' book, and that was one we just chucked out there to try and... It's like, you know, 
They just loved it. The message. Yes, yeah, I, no, I must, I, I must admit, I saw it and thought, the boy, the girl, the tree. <laughs> yeah. You know, come on, push the message down the throat. And it's kind of fun, huh? You got me back on that um, one because it is fantastic. And the kids think it's awesome. a little crazy, a little bit, you know, taking my mind. But it's, no, it's a fun book. It's, you know, the idea is that, you know, obviously everyone can make a difference and every action creates a reaction. But, you know, it has been extraordinary. And I don't quite yet know. I mean, you know, fresh off the boat. But we have got this incredible list. Our Facebook groups and our community groups have come back to us with some incredible, I mean, you know, Benin in Africa, some guys like, I've just, you know, created my own plastiki and sent us photos. We had a school in Egypt. We've had people all over the world sending us just really cool messages from really, really, really tiny things all the way up to, you know, our, our suppliers and partners and people saying we're banning bottled water or we're, you know, we're going to get rid of single-life plastics. And I, I just, I'm super excited to see where this can go. And as I said, you kind of, we just launched it and it's out there now. And uh, there's going to be a spate you know, of bottle structures I, I hope for sure. For <laughs> yeah, sure. There's going to be that and more, I hope. So. Now, question by Crazy Hat. In fact, do you want to, do you want to come right? Why don't you come up? She should come up. Come up, come up, come up, come up. Little girl was first. Oh, little sweet pea, sorry. Sorry. Oh. Thank you. It's hard to see. You know, the funny thing is, it's like, I feel like I'm going to put my hands up and you know, I can't actually it's see. It's actually quite Maybe we can tell you. Like, well, I suppose you can't because you're filming. Just bring it down, sweet pea, if you can't. Just flip it down like that. Yeah. Uh, how many plastic bottles did you use to make the board? Uh, that's a very good <laughs> question. Twelve and a half thousand uh, plastic uh-huh. bottles. Um, each one came straight from Waste Management, which was a company we worked in. Um, they uh, actually uh, were... Um, they would turn up with these big, big, big bags of, of bottles. <laughs> and um, they basically uh, would turn up with these sacks of bottles and we would pick out all the ones that we thought were, were usable. Um, and then the guy would come back and he would be, get more and more annoyed because we would be sending load more back with him. And he was like, are you going to use these bottles or not? And we would only be obviously selecting certain ones and it became a little <laughs> bit frustrating for them. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, 12,500. Plus the ones in the reaper. Oh, no, there's none in the pit yet. There no. will be some in the pit yeah. now. Yeah. Okay, beer. I can talk here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, today I'm Bev the Bottle. We're from um, the NGO... Alliance of Community Environmental Groups, because Boomerang Alliance. Yeah, so um, um, you mentioned about $6 billion worth of plastic bottles. Going to landfill. Yeah, is that a global statistic? Uh, no, that's um, just a US statistic. Oh, wow. Which is amazing. And actually, that doesn't include blister packs and the other bits of plastic that aren't even reclaimed. And, yeah. You know, we've, we've got a similar statistic that we have here in Australia that 6 billion containers is what we estimate is going to landfill and litter mm. out of our 14 billion that are sold. So our campaign's to do with getting the refund on bottles, the 10 cent refund. That Ian Kiernan is yeah, one of our um, like heroes for that. And, South um, Australia has that already, doesn't it? South Australia's had that for yeah. more than 30 years. So why isn't it that across the, you know, That's the whole... Right. I mean, I agree with politicians. Yeah. Yes, politicians and, and... Bang. You know, yeah. Bring back we, but we vote them in, right? So <laughs> that's we're, we're just to blame, and I think this is the <laughs> point. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's nuts. We can stop yeah. these problems today and mm. putting value yeah. on these bottles. Yeah, so that's the, that's the sort of stuff we're, we're connecting Give with Give us a web address so everyone can join, join yeah. up and sign up. What, what's the yep, we have a, um, on the If you're a Facebooker, we have a Cash for Containers website. Cool. A fa- Cash for Containers campaign. Otherwise, you can um, Google the Total Environment Centre or Boomerang Alliance. Okay, cool. Yeah, cash and follow the campaign. will get you there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, the that's the one. I like Cash for Containers. <laughs> 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 they bring it in next year, Northern Territory. It's the first state or territory to do it in 30-something years. So 
Well, so I mean, that's that, that exactly. This is amazing. You know, obviously, thank you for everything you're doing. And I wish that we had some politicians who actually could know, learn how to lead, you know, had a vision and had some accountability because it's just frightening that we've got these, uh, I would say, Muppets now trying to rule our lives. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to get in trouble. They are cool, exactly. Politicians aren't even cool. That's the problem. We can have a photo for our Facebook site with you at the end if that's okay. Done. Done, done, and done. Yeah, go bev the bottle. Genius. Genius. Do you need to run home after? I'm just looking at this to see if you're right. Ten cents, but it's only South Australia. Bummer. Hi. Based on the success of the plasticky, do you plan to make a um, mass-produced model of it? Um, or do you think the... Like a scale model or a sailing... Uh, <laughs> full sailing model for the worldwide use? Or do you think the design and building process was too hard and just a one-off thing? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we'd love people to create their own plastikis and, um, you know, it's... Um, it's been extraordinary, you know, to kind of get it going. I, I think that uh, the material we hope will get out there and we'll start seeing people actually using that material to build boats. There's no reason why you can't create fully recyclable boats. And so these monster hybrid, monster hybrid, um, you know, vessels that we're seeing out there. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, you know, we're still absorbing where it can go. And, and, you know, I think the potential for this material, as I said, to uh, inspire people to design in a smarter way could be very cool. I still don't know if Maybe the two material guys, Greg and Mike, I don't think they made it, actually, which is a shame. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds like we have the or resources to do it. Uh, Matt is here. Yeah. Oh, Matt's here. So Matt, up at the very top there. Actually, those two characters, let's give them a round of applause, hiding up there. Uh, Andy Fox with uh, is, Andy Fox is the boat builder, uh, sitting right there with the silver grey hair. Why don't you stand up, Andy? Uh, wave your hand. Um, and Matthew Gray um, is the... You know, expedition manager, crew member, and one you saw on the picture there, and between them were wrestling this, you know, problems every day in San Francisco. And you know, Andy, you reckon we'll see uh, bottle boats uh, all over the world anytime soon? And more? Will they sail forwards <laughs> or sideways? <laughs> will, will they sail forwards or sideways? <laughs> I'll tell you one spot, though. You know, I was in Fiji quite recently, and they gave out bottled water. It wasn't surprise, crazy, surprise, crazy. Fiji water. I was talking about rainwater harvesting, as I do, and uh, they were giving out bottled water. And then I was talking to them about what happened to the bottles. And unbelievably, it's so expensive to take them back to the mainland, and there's nowhere to recycle them. They burn the bottles. Yeah. So you're on this so, pristine, beautiful island, yeah. and I'm sure some of those other ones you pulled into, you were saying there was no recycling. New Caledonia. New Caledonia. No, re no recycling at all, which is crazy. Out of control. The crazy French. You know, so they need island. to be building bloody bottle bloody boats French, if they're going to burn them. The <laughs> and the funny thing it's is I read French that if you were just um, having to calculate your carbon footprint, then it's more carbon efficient to recycle those bottles than to burn them. Yeah, I mean, but I think, I hope, well, with the material, what I'm hoping is, you know, again... You know, one of the things is the value exchange. And I think, yeah. obviously, as we said here with the Cash for Containers campaign, is, you know, it's about um, value exchange and actually revaluing the material. So there is not just a, a, you know, a waste, a, you know, something that is going to end up in landfill. And, you know, I mean, I, I've used this a lot, and it's, it's not the perfect analogy, but it's like diamonds. You know, diamonds are one of those things that are actually commonly found, controlled by a few companies, and they last forever. Um, you know, and so they told us a story that these are for eternity and that they are... You know, one of these things that, you know, uh, we should, you know, every female wants a diamond ring. Um, I'm sure you all do. Um, and, but, you know, and it's meant to be seen as this, as I said, symbol of, uh, of foreverness. Um, plastic lasts forever. 
and is uh, yeah. one of those things. And we all I'm doing all you guys dreams. a favor. All of them are like, shut up. Um, no, but plastic lasts forever. It's controlled by a few companies, but yet the story that they've told us about it is that it's value-less. That's the point I'm trying yeah. to put out there. So we have to retell not only the story about plastics, but we have to retell a lot of stories. I mean, we designed this planet when we thought we had cheap fuels and infinite resources. We designed this planet when we thought there was a place called Away. I mean, these are all things that you can find in, you know, in, in, in books like this and people like Janine Benyus and you know, other heroes of the environment who have been talking about this. And you know, I think now with you know, institutes like this where there is you know, young minds coming at it from all angles. And middle-aged minds, you know, I might uh, add. I'm just saying. Young minds, young minds, of course. Um, you know, coming at it from all angles, and that's yeah. the point. You know, is, is, uh, you know, again, nobody's as smart as everybody, and that's something that I think we've tried to push. No, I know you need to no, no. push. Oh, you don't? No, come on. Let's oh, keep super. Going all right. Longer. So you don't have to. I was going to say, so you should all rush down to the microphone to get your question. They're all in, rushing out. Just probably. meander, like, meander. I don't know anyone else, but I'm busting for a pee. You never know. Yes, yes, question. Um, yeah. I've read that Cradle to Cradle book. I was just wondering if there are any other books along that sort of line of thought that you could recommend. Um, Biomimicry by Janine Benyus is mm. um, another, um, you know, brilliant, brilliant book. Um, yeah. um, know, the Boy, I've, the Girl and the Tree is a good one. Just the plastic basic book outline. that is coming out at Christmas time. <laughs> I'm actually going blank right now on, on books. Um, you know, I'd say, obviously, you know, broader horizon, things like um, Blessed Unrest and Natural Capital, Paul Hawken. National Geographic. Uh, <laughs> National Geographic, read National Geographic, of course. So. But, um, you know, uh, some of the books by, uh, you know, like Seth Godin and Tribe or... Mm. Um, you know, David Suzuki is obviously a, an amazing environmentalist, someone who I, you know, read a lot of his books. And then we can... A lot of info online, though, wouldn't you say? I mean, a lot of the stuff is happening so fast now, yeah. the chemical stuff and the toxin yeah. stuff is so fast that sometimes the online stuff is... is There's a lot of resources on our, on on our website, uh, hopefully. And, and, you know, it's, again, please take our content and, you know, take it, run with it post it, do whatever you want with it, use it, integrate it. It's all open source. There's no, there's no you know, all these images, you know, a lot of this stuff, um, you know, there's some photos and stuff, but all this stuff early oh, yeah. on, um, you know, we've been producing all these little posters. I love that and, one. Put the, put the, I love that map. Uh, Not that one. That, that one. one. Yeah, that was that. like our voyage. Uh, we drew this before we left. I kind so of pretty. often think these are all circles. Maybe that was a bit of foresight. We went in circles a couple <laughs> of times on our map. Um, You've got a question here too. Why are we... Um, hi, uh, my name is Rochelle Ferris and I'm the general manager of a uh, wildlife rescue organisation in New South Wales and around the country. I run a small sea turtle hospital and each year I either bury or rehabilitate 80 sea turtles that, around 80 sea turtles uh, that are suffering from the effects of plastic ingestion. I'm based just near Byron Bay. Uh, there is an anomaly in that area with sea currents that um, tends to accumulate plastics and sick sea turtles in uh, our area. I'm interested um, on a global scale uh, if there are any innovative ideas to reclaim the plastic that is in the ocean already. Um, there are. I mean, firstly, you know, that's, you know, sadly the tip of the iceberg and, you know, I mean, it's just tragic that we're hearing these stories that, that you know, it's saying needlessly hundreds of thousands of marine mammals in... No, thank you for all the work you do. I mean, yeah. give a round of applause for that. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's just this dumb issue that we've created with these single-use plastics that we just have to basically get rid of. And, you know, there are camps out there, people saying, you know, we can go out there and suck this plastic up and get it out of the ocean. And, you know, I would argue we have to even stop it. By the time it's in the ocean, it's too late. Yeah. 
right? There's so much energy expended getting ocean plastic out. And, you know, there are groups out there, Project Kaisa is one, Algalit is another one, uh, Plastic Pollution Coalition. I mean, there's a lot of now groups who are starting to, I'd recommend looking online. Um, you know, I would say it's, you know, it's a big part of it is to clean up. Um, you know, we'll see things like Clean Up Australia and, and, and um, you know, Clean Up the World and, and Ocean Conservancy and all those guys who are doing an amazing job at cleaning up plastics on the beach. Um, I would say we have to actually, the reclamation, stopping it, you know, getting in the ocean, education, making it, you know, the, the containers, uh, the reclamation process easier. Um, you know, once it's in the ocean, it does become a lot more complicated because it does photodegrade. Um, we know that the four main items ending up in our ocean are these, the plastic lids, mm. these, the plastic bottles the plastic bags, as you've just said, um, and these guys, the evil styrofoam cups. I mean, that's just the dumbest product ever. Mm, um, yeah. Evil, evil. Um, you know, and so if we could just find some politicians who could lead, um, you know, then we can get rid of uh, styrofoam straight away. We can get rid of the plastic bag. You know, I've, I've said this a lot, and it's, you know, in Australia alone, 10 million plastic bags were used today. Only 3% of those will be reclaimed. 10 million, right? I mean, it's like, let's just... Let's, again, find some leadership and, and stop that. And that comes from business. That comes from us as individuals. And, you know, we have to stop, uh, you know, basically using single-use plastics, get rid of them. Um, so, you know, there are some innovative, uh, you know, projects that are underway. Uh, I saw one the other day from Electrolux, I think it was the company, the Hoover company based out of Sweden. Uh, they basically are launching a vac up the sea uh, idea which is taking you know a big vacuum cleaner. Uh, I don't know if that's a marketing <laughs> gimmick or whether it's just going to actually spawn something. Um, there are people who are looking at repolymerization and taking the plastics and turning them back into oil. I'm a little bit skeptical on that one because I'm like, well, then it's just moving pollution from one blue ocean to the big blue ocean above us if we're going to mm. burn it. Mm. Um, so let's just stop it getting in the ocean. Um, would be my from my personal point of view, and I would love to see more innovation come in. I mean, we've, we have done some work in our team on, um, you know, looking at uh, microorganisms, and, and there are microorganisms out there that can actually start to eat expanded polystyrenes and are starting to break down plastics, in, and, and, and the waste is, non, is benign. Um, there was a kid, a 17-year-old kid, doing a science fair project in, uh, I think it was in Hong Kong. She's nodding. She knows. You've seen that, right? Yeah. And it came up with a, a microorganism that can digest plastics, and, you know, this should be on the market right now. And we were actually looking at a little bit of biomimicry. One of the early drawings that we did was um, the uh, Portuguese man had worn the wet sails around as a little sail, and, like, the favela jellyfish, and they basically have a sail on top, and they just go one way. And um, actually, this is quite a funny story. I'll tell you this one. We were, I was with Katie. Do you remember this meeting we were at? We were at a pitch meeting. We were at a sponsor meeting, okay? And um, basically, we were trying to, you know, get some sponsorship for this project at a very early stage, and we were talking about, you know, the afterlife, and we were going to get this big... Uh, we were going to say we had these Portuguese man of war and we were going to uh, impregnate it with uh, its tentacles with, um, <laughs> with, with uh, these microorganisms. So I'm in this very serious meeting and so all these guys and I, and I just came out and goes, we're going to impregnate its testicles. <laughs> and I was like, I just said testicle. And, you know, it's such a stupid word. I mean, all the boys got testicle. Um, but, you know, it's like, it, I mean, it was just one of those moments I'll never forget that I got, just broke down in giggles in this, this meeting. I think it was with someone I can't remember who it was with. But, you know, the idea was, I shouldn't, that was inappropriate, wasn't it? My mum would say that was inappropriate if she was sitting here right now. She was like, why did you have to bring that up? But I wanted to share with you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... <laughs> Maybe I should go home. No, no. But, you know, I was going to say, one of my co-judges on the event is Vina has, has, has invented the process that actually turns spent polyethylene into steel. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. So, you know, they, I, I means... feel as though, I mean, they have to get that stuff out. I mean, it's floating around like a yeah, I mean, somebody does vacuum it all up know, and they can convert it to something like one, that. You know, one you know, little tablespoon of our yeah. ocean, or teaspoon rather, of our ocean, uh, has just an incredible amount of microorganisms in it. I mean, you know, look at the work of what Craig Vent is doing. Some people don't like him, some people do. Mm. Um, the, you know, people think he's messing around and playing God. Um, but, you know, there are these solutions out there. And I think that, you know, we have to start kind of creating an innovation race again. We have to start, you know, taking some of the money that politicians keep on funneling into dirty, toxic industry, into clean, uh, you know, renewables and into sustainability. And, yeah. and I think that's the time is now. It's totally irresponsible. Uh, for them to continue to do that. Well, I th we should wrap it up because we all need to get home in that rain. But we do. You, know, are you questions, and uh, you're a question. Are you questions on? So the I'm going to wrap it yeah, on those right. questions. Uh. You're a question too. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to wrap it on those questions. I'll try and keep it focused. I'm going to wrap you if you talk too much. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not because it's been amazing. The thing is, who can... <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, so let's go there, and then we're going to flick across to there, wrap it all neatly in non-plastic. Um, I just have a quick question, it's more out of curiosity. When you were making your boat, did you have like a bottle of choice or a size? Uh, yeah, it's a two litre, straight up, you know, Coke and Pepsi bottle. That was it. I like that Coke and Pepsi rolled into one, that's smart. Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, those <laughs> just guys, in case. those dudes. And, you know, again, it's about, oh, here he goes. I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, a bit of responsibility back Is that at the... Uh... Your question too? So let's finish your side. There's one... And then I'm going to go to those two. Um, I know it's a more general question, and you can talk about that for days, but I was just a bit interested in uh, what is your general standpoint in how far you, we have to change and how radical the change has to be. Uh, I'm definitely an optimist. Uh, you've got to be. Otherwise, you just don't want to get up in the morning, I guess. And you, you know, There's days when I think maybe we should go the hedonistic route and just all have a lot of fun. And, but then I go, oh. Well, you're you know. doing both. Yeah, that's quite cool. Uh, trying to. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, um, we do need radical change. We need basically create a harmony between business, government, and us as individuals, as consumers. Uh, we need to really fundamentally break the system. We have to readdress, I think, at the very heart of it is the, the economic model that we've produced. Uh, we've externalized nature, and our you know, so called indicator of success is GDP, which doesn't even, you know, it's this crazy thing. It's like, you know, a kid uh, runs in and says, hey, mom, I'm going to make lemonade. You know, and squeeze the lemon, the water, the juice, the sugar, runs outside, sells it, runs back and says, oh, yeah, look, I just made 20 bucks. And Well, no, you didn't, because that's my jug, my water, my lemonade, my sugar. <laughs> you know, let me take that back, and you've only made five bucks. And, you know, we've been raiding the larder for far too long without basically having any accountability. So I think we need a fundamental shift in our economic model. I think we need to uh, be bold and brave and, and start to look at maybe um, creating... Uh, a second innovation race, which is only going to come if people feel comfortable to break the mold. And to do that, we need to create um, you know, a, a legislation that allows a level playing field to stop chasing after the dirty, kind of old-world, planet point one, zero, toxic, uh, just dumb uh, you know, resource race that we've been involved in. And we have to you know, really... I, I would love to see, as I said, you know, politicians stand up right now um, you know, I can't remember this Speedo Man. What's his name? Uh -huh. Yes, you know, Speedo like, Man. Let's just call him Speedo Man, shall Speedo we? Speedo Man, right? Like, the guy wearing the budgie smugglers is going to try and run the country. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. you know, Abbott. an Abbott. I mean, come on, let's get someone with some... I was going to say get someone with some balls. So that was probably the, <laughs> the, probably be the wrong... You've seen them already. <laughs> um, you know, so... Um, we need politicians who are going to lead. Oh, God. All right, shut up. Um, Budgie smugglers says it all. Um, so, okay, so we might go to this side.
The last two questions, and then we will... I'm probably going to get kicked out of the country tomorrow, so I'm really, this is the last time you're going to see me in Australia, <laughs> basically. Well, I think that we do have one, and she does have balls, and if all goes wrong, well, we're in trouble again, I feel. But why, why, did, you come, why, did, you come, why did you arrive on a weekend? I was really disappointed because yeah, all the mums and dads, all the mums and dads made it for Jessica, and I think you blew it, man. You, oh. you arrived at the most inconvenient time. Dude, so, yeah. oh, oh my god! <laughs> so, will you consider that? You know, oh mate, you know, um, if like you knew, if you knew what we went through to try and arrive on Sunday, man, that was like we tried, we tried, you know, and uh, and and actually, you know, funnily enough, it's funny how things work out. Master Chef is took the spotlight on Sunday, apparently, so, you know, we, we, I think we got a pretty good turnout for the Monday. Um, I was gutted, really gutted, because a big part of it was arriving and sharing it and, and the community, and that's why this Sunday we are doing an open day uh, down uh, at the National Maritime Museum. The boat is there, it's going to be there for a month. Um, I believe I'm correct in saying this, but we've just been told that they may do a permanent exhibit there for us um, ongoing at the National Maritime Museum, which is pretty cool. Um, a little exhibit that will continue to live on there. Um, so, you know, there is another weekend, and that's this weekend, so come and share you can that. You pretend um, that it just came in. Maybe I mean, we yeah. could take it out again. Joe, what do you reckon? <laughs> might do, why not? I mean, we might look at doing that. Um, we'll have to figure out it was a pretty nasty 90-degree turn to get in there. We thought we were going to prang it. That would have been a bit stupid. Mm. Imagine that. There was a sea of... It was actually one of the most intimidating... This is a, one of the photos. It was it's one of the most... Funny. It's kind of an intimidating uh, moment to get off a boat and uh, suddenly have uh, this sort of... Uh, here we go. That at you. As you arrive, um, it was like a whoa, hello. <laughs> um, but you know, I would have preferred less of that and more of you. You know, and that was you know we we tried, <laughs> but we tried. We tried to get there on we tried to get there on Sunday. Sounds good though. No, it's true. You know, I, what what? Saturday the twenty first of August. Yeah. So that's where we'll be out there, dodgy smugglers and all. Yeah. And there's one one more question. Last one. Yeah, well, um, I've been working on something for quite a few years, which I've now solved, but um, you keep mentioning politicians, the problems with people and everything, and it's quite obvious to me that the major problem is everybody's self-interest is not to do anything about the environment. Uh, politicians obviously want to retain power. Uh, companies are motivated by profit, and uh, people really would prefer not to compromise their lifestyle. I've, um, I've come up with a solution, but if you considered the possibility of uh, actually using their desire and um, making it work for the environment? I would love to hear your solution. <laughs> Serious? Yeah. Well, the obvious thing is that the one thing going for the environment is that uh, people are willing to change purchasing decisions provided there's no cost, effort or inconvenience involved. Yeah. And the obvious people to make that connection are the environmental movement, but... Unfortunately, um, they impart in a fairly... Well, it's not a message people want to hear that they're going to die. Regardless of how true it is, it's got to be told. But mm. So my solution is to come up and, uh, with an entertaining way of putting that, and it's powered by a couple of things. First of all, you can let people take possession of the idea. Uh, companies would love to associate with something where they can see market share in it. And there's a phenomenal amount of market share in the environment, provided people can actually uh, find something they can trust to tell them what they could go with with the environment. And your parameters have obviously got to be the company, whatever's doing it, it's got to be independent or no one will trust it. It's got to be trustworthy. It's, um, 
got to be entertaining and there's got to be wins for the environment. Mm -hmm. And just by making that market share connection, you've only got to get one company in a market segment picking up the sort of market share which is available, which surveys put at anything up to 90%. Realistically, it's probably 34 or 40%. And every other company in that market segment must become environmentally positive to maintain market share. You've yeah. literally flipped the, the capitalist system, which is very good at delivering goods and services, to work for the environment. And you can do it at no cost to anybody. All people have got to do is just change their purchasing decisions to a... That's a big if, though, isn't it? No, no, it's very I mean, it's cool. happening. It is happening. I, I would no, agree. no, but you've, you've got to... Which comes through, obviously, education and transparency and, as you said, entertainment. And, and, and actually, I think companies have to use their products as an ability to educate and inform But it's us. not going to come from a company because at the end of the day... Companies. There are Pardon? a lot of companies now that are showing, especially in the States and Europe, yeah. that are showing that being sustainable is actually increasing their profit. Oh, I, I totally so, agree. But... I agree, there is market share spread. in it, but they're still not picking up the sort of market share which is available. And until that sort of market share is picked up, it's still profitable. For example, if you think about the, uh, the problem with global warming, it's more profitable for oil companies to actually uh, go against global warming and put out climate sceptics. It's just like the Tobacco Institute. They know every year sure. that they can delay... And one should add also that uh, plastics are very much part of petrochemicals. But the way we change it, and I'm going to finish on this one, is this dude again, yes. um, Buckminster Fuller. You know? mm. And this is basically, I think, exactly yeah. what we should all apply when he says you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's true. Nice. Look at him. He was a rapper as well. Awesome. He was like, oh, yo, yeah. flavor, flavor. Bucky on the, on the ones and twos right there. Yo, David. Yo, Bucky. I've got to say that uh, <laughs> it's really exciting to be with an emerging explorer who's doing what you're doing and speaking to such a widespread of people from my kids with that book to my design friends who love what you've done with bottles, you crazy dude, <laughs> to organisations that give you cool titles like Climate Hero and Emergent Explorer. So I just, I'm going to thank, I'm going to clap you again, David, because you're a legend. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Oh, yeah, 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 beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. So can I just uh, add a formal thank you to David for creating a wonderful story and bringing that story to us here and bringing it to life. Uh, thank you very much for, for being here. And thank you, Sally, for helping bring that story to life. My pleasure.